2: It's all really podcast. Back out to Smart. Face the pass all the time. Three. Bang! It's Williams trade. Bobs it up to Robert Williams! Shouldn't he keep going? Taylor Brown! What a gun to her! Tatum. Durant the long reach. Tatum, crossover, pull-up jumper.
1: Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. We've got an awesome guest for you today, Ryan Bernadoni, aka Danger Cart, a pillar of Celtics Twitter, also the creator of RosterBuilder.com and former editor-in-chief of Celtics Hub. The great Wayne Spoonie joins us as well. Let's get into it all right folks as promised we're joined by the original architect of celtics reddit and former editor-in-chief of celtics hub ryan bernadoni aka Cart. thanks for joining us ryan how you doing
0: i'm doing well uh yes i'm only former things these days Uh, no no
1: current anything other than celtics watcher but (laughs) yeah no i'm doing okay how are you guys doing yeah, doing well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I guess current muser on uh, on Twitter would be an, an apt description. Sure. You're a frequent, you know, <laughs> um, projector of, of various musings on Twitter, which we all lap up uh, and enjoy, and your, your various podcast appearances as well, and now, thankfully, this one. So, thanks for coming on. Um, let's just jump straight into it, shall we? On the recent Winning Plays podcast you did with Brian Robb, also former Celtics Hub, you said that you think the Celtics are a better team after the deadline. You think they are. The consensus among the fan base is that they certainly are better. And there's a recent Reddit user comment here on a post game thread. This is by Gruff25p. They say back-to-back games, holding the other team to 40 points in the second half, and the Nuggets and the Hawks and no offensive slouches. So how much, if at all, has the needle moved there for you, Ryan, based on what you've seen in an admittedly small sample size in these two games with Derek White? Sans josh richardson since the deadline
0: i mean it hasn't changed that much but that's not like a knock on what the team's doing now right it the thing is like no matter what you do in those two games they were playing very well before the trade deadline right like they were blowing teams out in in the couple weeks before so you can't like look at those two games and say oh my goodness they've turned it all around like they had already kind of turned it around since since they got healthy um I, what you can say is that it looks good right it doesn't look worse there's no sort of like immediate oh my gosh he can't Derek white doesn't fit next to marcus smart or anything like that like you know at which i don't think anybody believed was going to be the case but until you see it to, to at least some extent it's always a possibility uh you know that it just for whatever reason they don't mesh or, or something like that um so you sort of remove some of those edge case, oh goodness, this could be a disaster for some reason scenarios. But in terms of like, are they better than they were before? I mean I think so. It's sort of the same that I when I was talking to B Rob, like I think that they're better. I think in the simplest terms of like they replaced you know, if you take this the top seven guys, um you know, the top eight gets a little more complicated because who is the eighth player at this point and stuff like that. But you know, you do see teams cut to seven player rotations in in big playoff games. And like, I think that their sixth and seventh players are better than they were before the deadline. So from that standpoint, I think they're more talented. Um, But you know, I, it would be almost like disrespectful to the way that the team was playing before the deadline to say that we've seen something significantly better than that. Just because like, how much better could you be than what they were or what they have been when healthy up to the deadline? Like every time they're healthy, other than the first couple of games of the year, it's like, they're blowing teams out and holding everybody to 40 points. Like, you know how, they were good before is, I guess the point.
2: (laughs) Do you buy that? These were, these past two games where Derek White's played, he's played like all of crunch time. I think he played 17 minutes straight to end the game against the Nuggets. I saw some buzz and I kind of feel this way too. This is the type of game we would have lost earlier in the season and whether it's white or the team just playing better. Uh, But a lot of that playing better was against terrible teams. And these were two legitimate teams i mean the nuggets are kind of handicapped in a lot of ways but um do you buy that there's you know can you evaluate that there's something different with the way they kept you know the way they held it together in crunch time or
0: um is it too early to tell yes him i mean sort of the same it's a little bit too early to tell if like the problem that they had in in crunch time early in the season was, I think you could attribute to a couple things. One was just bad luck, right? You can always say in these situations, like, there's just some amount of luck. And, like, if you miss all your shots, there are going to be games where you make some of them. And then you would win those games. Um, but in terms of, like, rotational things, the problem was that they were playing Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart together. And whenever they did that, it was disaster. And they had already gone away from that. So would they have won these games anyway if they were playing Josh Richardson or Grant Williams in, in those minutes? I I mean, we have no way of knowing, right? Right. You can't rerun the the game. Uh, But they have been playing better in those situations. These also didn't end up being particularly close games, right? Like, they beat the Nuggets by by double digits. And you can say that these were better teams. Like, they're better offensive teams. The Hawks are the the 10 seed right now, and they were missing John Collins. And the Nuggets are, you know, missing, whatever, $60 million of of players for the entire year. So these are not juggernaut teams. Uh, They're not entirely out of line, again, with the teams that they were beating uh, before the deadline, it's just pre-deadline, post-deadline. They're winning games by double digits against teams that are decent, or you know, in some cases, not. But uh, so they haven't really been tested in in crunch time with the new lineup, and they hadn't recently been tested in crunch time with the new old lineup. Uh, so again, like it just we just really don't know. Like I know it's we want to be able to answer these questions right now, um, and in some cases, you just you know, unfortunately can't it. But again, I mean, it looks good. It's better than when it was Dennis Schroeder because we know what didn't work. So that's what I mean by like the, we, we have not seen any like big red flags that Derek White won't work. Like we did very early on with, with Dennis Schroeder. And unfortunately they persisted with that through, you know, I think for what most people would say was, was too long, but they had moved off it before the deadline, you know, that had been basically thrown into the bin. So, um, it's good. I mean, that's it's it's not just good about the players, right? It's also good that you see the coach making these adjustments and recognizing that these things needed to change. Uh, so it's you know better on multiple fronts. But I, I don't know. Would it, would they have lost those games if Josh Richardson was
1: playing? Probably not. I mean, they won by ten. Like mm-hmm. you know, how big of a swing is it really? <laughs> Yeah, super hard to gauge is what I'm hearing because they were awesome and are still awesome, and unless there's more, until we see more sample size, it's it's kind of hard to uh, to bring down the hammer or, or give a verdict there. Um, speaking of the the Derek White trade and, and acquisition, I definitely understand the disappointment around the the draft capital given up for Derek White. You know, the first round pick uh, this year, the pick swap in 2028, but. If our primary goal is to win a championship and our secondary goal is to re-sign the Jays because we think having both Jays is the best best path towards a title, why do we not value Derek White more than a first-round pick this year and a swap in six years? If, if White is something that's going to show the Jays, yes, like we're, we're all about putting the right team around you. We're all about winning now and getting some longevity out of Derek White and his his contract that he's got for a few years now. Um, why is that not more valuable than than that pick and the pick swap in, in six years time
0: So i don't think it's a, a question of like pure value in in this situation it's more about a practice and like how you operate as a as a franchise and a front office and what things are you know you should be trading and what things you shouldn't and in what situations you should um, in terms of just pure value it's really hard to value a pick swap 6 years down the line that's top 1 protected. Like what is the value of that? Teams don't trade that because you're courting disaster by trading that. Like it's it's just the kind of thing that you only trade if if you're backed into a corner or if you're in pure win now. So if you're the Bucks last year and it's like we have Giannis, he has to accept the supermax. We really like we will put everything on the table. Then that's a different situation. If you have a you know LeBron James saying, "You must do this because i'm thirty seven years old. you end up in a different situation with the the types of move that you moves that you're making, but it's rare that when you have other assets that you can give up that any team gives up a, that type of thing that far into the future when it's just who knows like it's just so big of a risk to take um and because of that, it's hard to value, but it's also not that derek white it's not Derek White versus a first round pick and a far future pick swap it's it's Josh Richardson. Who was who I don't think is as good of a player as Derek White, but like there it is more than like the the net move here is not just this one pick and a future pick out. You're also sort of have to take it in the larger context of Richardson leaving and Schroeder leaving and Tice coming in with him and and sort of the, the larger picture of the deadline. Um and that's really where I have a, a problem with it, is that it's more of the sort of scope of the early Brad Stevens GM experience where you have a lot of moves that you look at and you're like, that's a maybe that's a good move, it's a reasonable move, at least it's this or that. But like the edges of getting everything you can and the good practice of not sort of throwing away opportunities to pick up every little thing that you can um is where there's a problem. And and in terms of like the context of the Jays, because I think in the context of if you think this team is going to compete for the title right now, and I'm not against that argument. I think I'm probably higher on the team than almost like most people are for the right now, you can make the argument of like the Pat Riley sort of like, who cares about picks? We'll figure it out later. Just throw it away and like, we want to win now. So you can make that argument. The, the argument about the Jays and about wanting them to resign, well-run franchises that have good futures that are able to be flexible and make moves as they go year over year are the places where players generally want to stay. And the problem with giving away these pick swaps and things like that is not that it's a guarantee that six years down the line, they're going to have the number two pick and lose it. It's that that encumbers you in a lot of other things over a long period of time and that it's generally just not a good practice. Um, And I think there's been some other signs of things like that too where they haven't been like squeezing everything they can out of these moves. So that's where more of my concern comes from than like Derek White's a bad player to go get. I don't have a problem going and getting Derek White. I just think that the way they are evaluating or valuing assets right now is uh, maybe not ideal um, for the early Brad Stevens tenure.
2: Yeah, I I think Right when I saw that trade, I immediately thought that's probably a slight overpay, if not more than a slight overpay for Derek White. What I will say is, and really, do you agree with this premise? Brad has been pretty good, I think, as a talent evaluator so far. The early returns are are pretty good with Richardson. He identified a guy that was a distressed asset, went and got him, turned him into at least a neutral contract. Um, Al... Overpaid, obviously not ideal on that contract, but he's been a key cog with the team. And then I think Schroeder gets a tough rap. I don't think some of Schroeder's failures were all on Udoka. Nonetheless, he's a really talented guy for the taxpayer MLE. So if Brad said Derek White is underutilized in San Antonio, I need to go get this guy because I truly think he's the fourth piece. You know, he's that fourth best guy on the championship team. Does that change how you would evaluate? I I know it's risky with the swap, but I mean, if he's really convinced, does that matter or, or do you not really care and, and
0: just think that's too much risk to take on with a swap? Uh, I mean, I don't particularly care, but I don't matter, right? Like who cares what I think? Um, I am wrong all the time. It doesn't it doesn't mean anything what I think. Like then that's where I go on like I think the general shape of like their practice right now is not wonderful. Now you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and Robert Williams, and that's gonna cover for a lot of sort of not getting the extra two percent here and there, right? Um, and it has covered them for not having like legitimately bad player and roster management over the last couple of years. Why are they still a good team? It's because you have this like core of a really good team that covers up for a lot of sins. Um, so it doesn't particularly matter to me. I, I don't know about the idea of like Brad has proven to be a good talent evaluator to this point. I think the players we've picked up have basically performed to the level that you would have expected them to do. Josh Richardson, probably a little bit better shooter. I think exactly. I mean, if you look at his numbers this year versus last year, they are like eerily sure. similar. They are exactly the same. Um, Horford, he was playing well last year. I think he's kind of played the same. Like, he's he's played well. He's probably been a little bit better on defense than we expected. Um, the, you know, restrictions on how much he can play is, is the biggest thing with him at this point. And a lot of what you make your bones on as a talent evaluator, as a front office person, is the draft. And, like, they haven't done any drafting with, with Brad. Um, so it's really hard to to make the case there as to, like, getting any sort of read on him. Um, and I think that's where, for all that age gets ripped for his drafting, that's actually where he was probably the best oh, yeah. over his time with the Celtics, that he was a very good talent evaluator actually in the draft. Everybody has misses, right? But, um, so I'm, I don't know. Like, I don't, if you're asking, like, if I give Brad the benefit of the doubt as a front office person at this point, because of his, the moves he's made so far, then I would say no to that. I don't think he's done anything, like, exceptional. Um, but again, like, It's his job, and if that's what he believes, then I understand that he would operate in that way of saying, like, this is the guy who I believe in and I'm staking my reputation on it, so I'm going to overpay for it. The problem is that what then happens if it doesn't work out is that the person who gets fired isn't there when this six-year-down-the-line pick-swap, you know, is becomes something that's encumbering a future, the the person who's leading the team at that time. Uh, so it's I mean, kind of easy to do that, to trade stuff way out into the future, because either you're a success and don't care, or you're gone and don't care. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't give him the benefit of the doubt at, at that point, but again, like, who am I to judge? I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> well we, we thank you do. that's party. why we've invited you on. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah look 20, 20 i'll be 41 and i refuse to believe that that day will ever come so as far as i'm concerned we're not offering up any any real asset because that that day will never yeah, arrive. may as
2: well not um, exist yeah
1: <laughs> i'll be there in 10 weeks so <laughs> i'll be 41 <laughs>
0: in, you know the end of end of april so uh, well, hopefully we're still around by that point
1: yeah. Yeah. It's all relative. Um, we'll be right, right with on Brad, our
2: way to a championship by then. Come on.
1: <laughs> we
0: might
2: be 10 weeks from it's now.
1: Not,
0: it's not wildly
1: out of the question. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Well, we look forward to having you back on the pod to talk about the 2028 title. Um, in the meantime, sticking with Brad as part of his tenure, his, you know, short-lived tenure so far with the Celtics in this new role, there's been a lot of celebration around possessing these quote-unquote tradable contracts. So mid-tier contracts that are Somewhat easily move to free up cap space or potentially a sign and trade for a third star. You had recently mentioned that Tice should or could be viewed as a negative value contract around the league. But given the salary and what he makes per year, why do we not view Tice's contract in that same sort of flexible slash tradable category?
0: I mean it's it's fine to be a tradable contract, but if you're a negative value contract, then you have to give stuff in order to use that contract as a you know as a piece of a trade. Uh, you would rather have mid-sized, flexible contracts that are positive value if you're looking to package them together and make some sort of big trade. And, and the team has those as well. Uh, you know, Robert Williams is going to look like one of the best contracts in the entire league over the next four years, and he makes about the same as what Tice is going to be making, you know, in the next couple of years, a little bit more, but not like hugely more. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's fine to say like that you could move that contract, but it's still a negative value contract for, you know, a backup center across the league, a third center on this team um, and a player who wasn't playing for the team that gave him that contract. Uh, and, and you know, it's a bad team. The Rockets are not any good and they weren't playing him after just signing him. Um, so I think, and because of the position he plays, it, it just is a negative value contract. Um, and it's weird that now there's this report from Steve Bolpette who's, you know, I know he's covering national, you know, doing sort of a national beat now and not just the Celtics, but you would expect that if he's saying stuff about the Celtics, that it's still very reliable, where he's saying that the, you know, the Lakers had offered either a second or maybe even two seconds for, for Dennis Schroeder. And so then to turn around and instead trade him for Tice and get nothing back for taking this negative value contract is more of the thing that I was talking about, you know, about like not getting the full hundred percent here and and not working the edges about where, what you can pick up and where you can recover some of the second round picks and things like that, that you sent out before. Um, Maybe if they had all their second round picks, then you could be packaging second round picks and not giving out far future pick swaps. Who knows? Uh, so it's it's just a weird. It was a weird move. It's a weird contract. It's it's not to say that it can't possibly work out because if they trade Al Horford in the off season and Tice becomes your you know back your true backup center for a couple of years, like it's not the end of the world. Um, but it's I mean does anybody think that if he was available in free agency right now he would get multiple years at nine million dollars like he just wouldn't right probably not I mean I do you think not. you could yeah
2: uh, do you think you could chalk <laughs> up some of him being bad to like Houston's a mess right like they're playing him next to Christian Wood I'm not sure that makes really any sense they've got kpj out there and uh Jalen green trying to play make and do their own thing I, I just don't see how that's really a good place for somebody like Tice, who really just kind of needs to play off better players who uh, know what they're doing. I mean, I don't know. Do do you, or do you, do you know, do you have any, did he get hurt in Houston? Like, what happened? (laughs) Why is he not playing at
0: all? No, he's 30. (laughs) I mean, he's, he's a backup center who, uh, I mean, the problem with that outlook is like, I agree that Houston's garbage uh, and it's not the best place to play, but, the the larger point is that like centers who need who play their best when they're playing around other good players and who can be made to look good by other players are kind of a dime a dozen. Like that's the whole point, right? Where did signing Tice to begin with is a very good example of this. It's like, oh, we're gonna go and get this guy that I'm not gonna say that nobody knew who he was, because scouts and people who pay attention to the German League and to you know, Eurobasket certainly did know who he was. Um, but he wasn't like a high profile european player even when they signed him and then he was a contributor in the nba like right away because he was a center and a athletic and a you know good fit and some of that if there's any diminishment of that athleticism he's not a big guy uh he's not a great shooter you know so it could just be that he's kind of had his moment and guys who come to the nba when they're older don't always stick around all that long particularly if they're sort of you know at that position and and become backups and, and slide away Um, but again, like he might come here and be better. I don't think he can come here and be better right now because where are they going to play him unless other players get injured? And if, particularly if Rob Williams gets injured, like it's kind of irrelevant, that's going to be such a big problem for the team that they won't then be a particularly good team anymore. You know, they, they will go from sort of edge of contender status to something much less than that. Um, but you know, you said they were playing next to Christian Wood, like where are they going to play him now? If not next to Al Horford or next to Robert Williams, Which we saw, and now Tristan Thompson is not as good as either of those players, but like we saw playing him at power forward next to a non-shooting center just was a disaster before, Uh, and if that's where they go back to now, and that would also mean, I assume, playing Grant Williams less, which I think would be bad as well. Like I just don't see where he fits onto this roster, where he can prove that he's more valuable than that contract, or as valuable as, uh, valuable as that contract, unless there's injuries, or unless you're talking at least next season, or maybe... Two seasons down the line. And like, you don't need to prepay backup centers a year or two in advance. Like, they're just always kind of available.
1: Yeah, I see sure as what a really. Point. I
0: like that we don't have Ennis.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I see him as a really qua- overqualified Enos Cantor. Uh, and yeah, potentially overpaid. We'll see. But, you know, in this last stretch of the season heading in towards the playoffs where we need to find little pockets of time to rest Robert Williams, to rest Al Horford, Robert Williams being injury prone, Al Horford being old. We do need a semi competent filler, you know, to to fill those minutes. And I think Daniel Tyas, with his knowledge of the system, with his knowledge of the team and the players on it, is a, a very qualified person to to fill that role. Could you find one cheaper? Absolutely. But do the do the front office think that he can actually make a contribution without having to take time to acclimate him? Probably. So I think that obviously I'm not paying his salary, so I probably feel a lot uh, better about it than uh, others might. Um, but I feel like it could be uh, really a really solid contributor uh, in a very small role, if that makes sense.
0: Well, and I think that that would make a lot more sense if he was an expiring contract. Hmm. Like, if you're saying, oh, we we can get him now and we're trading Schroeder out and we're bringing Tyson and we, have, we just picked up, you know, somebody who's Derek White who is going to play some amount of point guard anyway and things like that, like, that would make much more sense. The problem is the length of the contract. It's that there's two more years here. And I mean... Again, I know you had mentioned stuff I said on on winning plays. I am assuming that most people listening to this did not listen to that, so I will repeat myself a little bit and hopefully it doesn't bore anybody too much. It's that this is a team that is we know has budget limitations of some amount um that seem to be right around luxury tax and like adding that amount of salary next year is going to put them back into luxury tax territory. And so are we going to be at the trade deadline next year or at the end of the off season this year and they're giving up draft assets again, you know, some of are future, you know, young players, whatever it might be, in order to get themselves back into budget, because they're paying their backup center $26 million, and then their third center $9 million? Or does it mean that they have to move off of Al Horford that they end up, it it makes even less sense to waive him now, right? Like if you if you're in a position where you decide to waive Al Horford, because you're saving $12 million, but then you're paying Daniel Tice $9 million, like you would have been better off just Keeping Horford and not going and getting Tice, right? Like the the sort of mathematics of where you're going down the line become difficult unless you're just like I believe against all history that they will be a significant tax paying team next year to the point where they're going to be a tax paying team to keep a quality third center that you could replace for much less money. Like it, I just the whole picture doesn't doesn't work for me. Even if I like Daniel Tice, and if it was an expiring contract, I would be like, yeah, great. Sure. Whatever. That's totally fine. It's it's 2 and years down 2 and 3 years down the line where you're like that's probably going to cost us something. We probably should have got something now and didn't. And the resolution to how much he's being paid in the future may end up costing us more things and just not really working out. Uh, or maybe they go, uh, maybe they win the title this year and literally nothing matters for the next couple of years. Now we're talking. But I think more that likely than nice. not, like it doesn't quite work
2: out that way. Do you think Brad's scarred from all these trash backup centers he had to deal with, like Tristan Thompson, Canter? <laughs> he's
0: just like I'm getting so nice. I didn't mention when you said you know when you said do I trust Brad's judgment on all these player evaluations? The one that we didn't mention there conveniently was that he brought back Dennis Cantor. That was a vibes <laughs> <I'm
1: to> play. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> um, so right. it seems to me that it's a little bit, and you worry about this in terms of, again, like the general practice of the front office. That's a little bit of the sort of recent head coach. The worst one being if you're current head coach of just guys going to get people that they're comfortable with and that they know and that he had luck. You know, he had good success when he was the coach and, and Tice was here. So you go and get him because, you know, you're used to him and you know what he can do and you like him. And you don't think quite so much about the dollars and cents when there's 20 minutes left until the trade deadline. Um, and so that's the concern there. But again, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying that he's a bad player, that he's as bad as he looked in Houston. I'm just saying that I don't that that's a negative value contract and that they should have got something for taking it, particularly if they were bypassing other opportunities with Schroeder. Uh, and they are not the Los Angeles Clippers who have a, a $100 billion owner who just doesn't care about the tax on the line. Like, those things that, you know, chickens will come to home to roost on some of these things at some point down the line. And you just hope that it, that the price to pay there is, you know, small enough where you don't have to worry about it.
2: What would be your dream trade deadline for the C's? If we're assuming it looks like Brad wanted to go out and get a starter and then probably a backup center. Um, So who would you have targeted for those, you know, trying to figure out like Barnes was probably going to cost you two picks maybe and like Neesmith, Uh and then Norm Powell. I don't know what the hell Norm Powell would have cost. I mean, that was just a bizarre trade uh, from Portland. Uh, so what, what would you have liked to see us done instead, especially instead of the Tice trade?
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously we should have traded for Luka Doncic. Um, right. Yeah. And that yeah. would have, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know how to answer the question is the, is the, the honest answer is like, I don't know what was possible and what was out there. Um, for the other things that that sort of exist, it's an odd thing to say that to an extent I would rather they had traded two first round picks than traded a pick swap six years out into the future because you think that's yeah, a pick swap. That's not as bad as trading a first round pick. But like it's just such a wild card that it kind of throws me off for like what is the front office doing and why are they operating in, in a particular manner. I don't have any problem with targeting Derek White. like I've been saying for a while and I, I'm not unique in this that like the great the great gift that you have in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is not your offense, it's your defense. To be able to build a team that can generate offense with players who are in in the case of Jason, I think, playing phenomenally well defensively this year, and, and Jalen, a good defender, um, you know, people will complain or, or argue about how good of a defender he is, but not a you know, not a bad defender. To be able to generate offense from those two two players who can play defense the way that they can. Is really a gift, but defense we know is a team thing, right? You have if you if you put a weak link on the floor in the playoffs, it will get picked at, and most teams have to do that in order to generate offense, right? Like it, you never will have a gr- a truly great defense if you have Trey Young on the floor, but you know you're going to have Trey Young on the floor, um, and so that's the gift they have, and I think it's entirely reasonable and very intelligent to build your team by saying we are simply not going to give a weak link anywhere, and for that Derek White is a. Completely reasonable player now, so is Harrison Barnes, right? Like he's not a he's not a great defender, but he's not a weak link defender. who teams are going to pick on, who's going to like undermine everything that you're doing. So as long as you aren't going after players who do that, then I think you're playing properly into what the team is doing. i Like I said, I don't know what the ideal is because I don't know what the the possibilities were. Um, I said right, like, on deadline morning that it was very reasonable for this team to go in numerous different directions. Like, if there really was a, a future Lakers first-round pick on the table for Josh Richardson, they could have just sold Josh Richardson. And I couldn't have argued with that. Like, the asset value of, a, yeah. you know, a, a future pick a couple years out unprotected for a team that is run by morons, regardless of the fact that they just won a title. Like, right? They're run by idiots. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, would have been reasonable to do just saying like the asset is too good yeah. doing what they did and buying completely reasonable teams playing great uh this is you know a season where everything sort of seems to be scrambled it could be wide open totally reasonable standing pat like just saying what we have is good would have been reasonable so i don't know like i said i'm not pretending that i'm some genius with like the answer to all things uh and and what they did in terms of the players that they added are are totally reasonable. I just think that the way that they paid for those players um, is concerning and something to watch as we go forward. Uh, it may be that it's, you know, two years from now, it seems ridiculous. And it's like, oh, no, they're they've all the moves they made from this point on seem completely, you know, they've won all the trades on the day of. And I, I don't know. It's just one of those things that without a lot of track record, you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Some of these things that they're doing. Um you know, in, in terms of other things they could have done, I think that they probably should have just traded Schroeder to get these second round picks instead of going and getting the Tice contract, obviously, because of the way I'm talking about it. I would still launch Ennis into space and have found uh, Luke Cornette, fine. I, that's totally fine. Um, they just signed Sam Hauser yeah, today, fine, reasonable. Um, and then, you know, there's the team in the long term needs. They still need a sort of big defensive wing unless you really believe that Grant um, can hold up to that role like in the playoffs. And so you do see, you know, Larry Nance was sort of a throw in to New Orleans. I've always been a fan of his as like if he was going to go that cheaply, it would have been nice to be able to get on that if that was possible. Uh, Robert Covington's kind of old and doesn't play as well, I think, as he had even just a couple of years ago. But again, like. He was part of that Powell trade that you mentioned. It's really hard to tell what the valuations of either of those players were because of what they got back. But again, like if you could go in there and like swoop in and just take one, and all of that is limited by the luxury tax position. So again, in my ideal world, of my ideal offseason, you would have an ownership group that's like, spend $10 million over the luxury tax. We don't care. Go ahead and do whatever you want. And then you could add a player like that. For everything else, what they did, other than, like I said, the way they paid for it, it seems reasonable, but I just... This is me rambling on because I can't answer your question, so I just keep talking until one of you cuts me off. And <laughs> I think can- he have <laughs> answered it in
1: in a way. Like there's there's definitely a few useful tidbits to to glean from that. You, you, you did mention that you know there's a necessity still to add another wing to the team. Have you backed off the the emphasis on acquiring additional shooting? We saw the last couple of games. Particularly in the first half against Atlanta, like Tatum Brown, both not shooting well at all, to put it lightly. Obviously, Tatum came to life in the second half of the game. And yet, because of the quality of the defense, the team continues to find a way to win. And obviously, qualify that. We mentioned it earlier that these aren't exactly quality opponents. And yet, you know, we can have these poor shooting nights and, and win the games, you know, using other strategies do you think there's less of a need to to go and pursue and potentially overpay for shooting given the current construct of the team and the quality of the defense
0: yeah there's no rule like there's no one way to win right if you can hold the team to three less points then that's worth more than scoring one more yourself it's like you don't have to do it by by playing any one given way and if you have the best defense in the league by like three or four points per hundred possessions over anybody else. It's very good. You're almost like by <laughs> default a contender, right? And they're not going to maintain that over the year. Like they the teams are not going to continue to shoot 40% against them for, for the long term, just because nobody in the league does that. It's not viable for that to continue to happen. And they will play better competition and they will have worse luck. They will have games like the Utah game where every once in a while, the, the other team just makes 22 threes. Right. And it's like, that doesn't mean that you're suddenly a bad defense. It's just like shit happens sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you can absolutely go and compete and, and win the title with an unbelievable defense. And like I said, in the long term, in the bigger picture, the gift that you have from the Jays is that you can do that. And it sometimes, I think, gets lost a little bit that how young Jason Tatum still is, right? Like, no, he's not 19 anymore. But look at where, like, Joel Embiid right now is competing for the MVP because he's in the prime years of his career. And, and so is Nikola Jokic. And, like, Jason's seasons away from that (laughs) yeah and if he just catches a heater in the playoffs and goes for six weeks shooting 45 percent from three like the team is going to beat whoever they play Mm -hmm. just like just on hey we have five guys who defend and nobody can score against us and our best offensive player just gets hot at the right time right that can happen in any one of the next four years before you even like get to the the beginning of his real prime season right Mm -hmm. um So I don't think you have to get shooting. The other thing is that what they need isn't to overpay for shooting. They just need to find like cheap shooting, right? A little bit of like somebody who hits. So Sam Hauser is probably never going to be anything in the NBA, right? Like undrafted guys who aren't super athletic and get to the NBA at 24 rarely become anything. And maybe he'll, you know, everybody says, oh, he could be Duncan Robinson. Yeah, but he probably isn't. He probably Probably won't be. But what you need is to somewhere at some point get lucky with shooting. They have this year with Grant Williams, cheap, quality shooting from a you know versatile player that has really helped um, in in certain situations. And that's really what you need is to either get lucky or to find somebody who you know you sign for the MLE who was a career thirty five percent three point shooter and shoot thirty nine percent for two years and like that, right? Like it kind of solves some of your. So I mean, your problems are you hit a draft pick for somebody who you think is going to take a couple of years to develop and they're able to come in earlier than that and and play right away. Um, but I think, again, like I think the number one thing is you need cheap shooting. Everybody needs cheap shooting around around the NBA or if you're going to overpay, it needs to be a player who is not one dimensional as a shooter. Right. You need somebody who also doesn't, again, undermine your defense because they're six foot one and can't hold up in the playoffs or because they're lead footed and they can only play center and it's great that you christoph's Brazinius can shoot but if he can't do anything else then like it screws you more than you gain out of the shooting right
1: yeah yeah absolutely now look we, we have a a quota of reddit comments that we have to hit being the celtics reddit podcast and as you were talking i was thinking how am i going to weave this in uh so it is a little bit of a of a pivot here but I am going to start with of a cheap comment shooting, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I was like how, how am I going to spin this in? <laughs> this is a comment from Mr Happy Funds 89. Obviously take themselves very seriously. They say even though his shot isn't dropping yet, I'm happy to see Pritchard playing. I hope Eme continues to go with him. I think he knows that it's critical we have a three-point shooter able to come off the bench in the playoffs and I think Pritchard is probably our best hope of that happening right now. So, Ryan, with that said, re-Pritchard, are the Celtics likely to be active in the buyout market? Who are they likely to look at? And is that a good thing, given that it could re-relegate Peyton Pritchard to the bench and, and kind of squash any playing time that he's recently been gifted? Yeah, I'm trying to remember who I was having this conversation with this morning on Twitter. Um, and I'm blanking
0: out on who it was, so apologies. Like no The fact that they are as good as they are... Um, means that if they can get gary harris sure they should go and get gary harris i don't know if he's going to be bought out if he is every team in the league is going to be trying to sign yes. him right and it'll be sort of funny i think if he joined this team because not that long ago he was like the savior of the defense in in uh denver in a, in the playoffs yeah and he would come here and i think be like the seventh best defender in the rotation for this team <laughs> yeah um but he's shooting well and like yeah they should go and get gary harris if they can Beyond that, I don't know if there's anybody who's really going to be out there. If Robin Lopez, you know, gets bought out and you go to him and say, hey, we're going to sign you and you're going to get DMP'd most nights. But if we run into Joel Embiid in the playoffs, we might try you. And he wants to come for that, then yeah, sure, fine. You know, go ahead and do that. Um, But buyout guys are buyout guys for a reason, right? Like, if you're good enough to be playing in the playoffs, then you're probably not getting bought out to begin with. Um, And I do think that it would, you know, would behoove the team to, to play more of their young players if nothing else to find out what they have there. Uh, And if they're not going to play them here, then please send Aaron Neesmith to go play for the Red Claw or the Portland Maine Celtics. Like you just, he can't just waste away on on the bench while the team plays an eight man rotation for the last third of the season. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I just don't, like I said, if there's a player, the level of Gary Harris that you can get, then yeah, you should go and get him. Uh, But I don't, I don't they don't really need a point guard. It looks like there's gonna potentially a number of point guards that are gonna be out there. Uh I don't think it makes any sense to like be targeting a 30 you know, a Derek Favors style big when you've already got too many bigs to begin with. Uh if you really want another big like again, go sign a 23 year old from the G League, like you just did with, you know, with Hauser pulling somebody out from there. I mean, obviously he was already on a two way, but like I don't know. The buyout guys don't I've gone through enough years of buyout guys across the league to not be fooled by them as much anymore
1: <laughs> they never we seem always, to fool our
0: way either i was just gonna
2: say we always never, never get the guy we actually want <laughs> and then whoever we get is useless Except that one, P.J. Brown, that was it. He won P.J. One Brown wasn't game. a buyout, right? He was. Well, I thought he was. Wasn't a buyout though. Oh, he wasn't. No,
0: he just he was retired, and he basically oh, okay. sat out the you know Got all it. the way up until the deadline for signing because <laughs> he enough. was. He basically knew what he was going to do. Like yeah. he was sitting on the sidelines, waiting for Kevin Garnett to be like, "Now's the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go win a title together." And then he went back into retirement. But no, he wasn't actually a buyout. They, yeah, the enough. buyout guys just never worked for us.
2: Yeah, or never come here at all. <laughs>
0: yeah exactly or they're greg monroe and then they come back and somehow they defeat us with a freaking skeleton crew of a team (laughs) you know four years later we know just greg monroe this year he showed us uh he he should have paid us back for all of that (laughs) buyout money we gave him years ago uh
1: there's another comment here from user chinese fox 97 they say You know why I believe we can win it all? Because we're winning even though our defense or rather our offense has been terrible. We're missing a ton of shots. JB and JT are missing a ton of threes. We shot 27% and 29% the last two games and still ended up winning because of our defense, which I think segues into this question, Ryan, as we start to wrap up here. How optimistic do you feel about a a deep playoff run? And in your mind, are you targeting any specific matchups in that sort of first or, or second round?
0: I mean, right, we we talked about it a little bit already, right? It was saying like if Jason Tatum gets hot for a, for a month or two months, then they almost, not can beat anybody, like they will beat anybody, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that I I think that they have a chance to win the title that is being underplayed by most people. Uh, You see these sort of analytics models like 538 and the one, I think there's one based on uh, the Darko projection. It's not even really a stat, but whatever it is. Um, And some others that have the Celtics in the sort of like 10 to 12% range in terms of being title, you know, their title favorites or not title, their title odds. That seems a bit high to me. Vegas has them at like 2%. That seems a bit low. But if you're in that range of like 5 to 8%, then again, something I said on a few days ago on, on the other pod, it's like, if that team if something happens that had five percent odds in sports, like that is an upset, but that doesn't register as like some amazing thing that you remember forever as this like outlier, I can't believe that this happened that one time. Um, those things do happen sometimes. So in terms of like how far they can get in the playoffs, yeah, it would help if they draw the Bulls with three guys injured, right? Or the Cavs playing well, but with guys who have never played in the playoffs before and are yeah. you know sort of experiencing it for the first time. Like, I would rather play them than the Bucks. I would rather play them than the Sixers early on if the Sixers mesh right away. This isn't a surprise that if everybody is healthy for the Nets, Kevin Durant is really good, and I would rather be playing against Darius Garland than Kevin Garnett. Or Kevin Garnett, jeez, than Kevin Durant. Um, so, yeah, the matchups are helpful. But, like, in the end it comes down to, if the team continues to play as well as they have played to this point, for basically the entire season, when they were healthy, right? They had where were, when were they bad? Ear, very early in the season, they gave up too many points, and everybody who was watching the game was like, "They clearly don't know what they're doing yet in this yep. system." Uh, then they play really well from game like eight, seven, or eight, something like that, up until they go on the West Coast trip, and they go on this trip and. Jalen's injured, they're starting Smart and Shooter together, they give up a million points, there's like kind of weird disaster games in there, okay, fair enough, a period of legitimately bad play, but with one of your two best players, sideline. Then you have COVID, and the entire league goes to shit, and nobody has any idea what any of those games mean. And they have a bunch of bad losses in there, but welcome to the club, like, it's all total mess. And then they get healthy, and they just kill people. They're just rolling over everybody. And like... It's hard to say that the that what they've had done recently is sustainable for forever because they're not going to play a, you know, be a plus 12 net rating for the rest of the year I don't think. But like if they just continue on being like a plus 6 or plus 7 team for the rest of the year, then they absolutely go into the playoffs where they can beat anybody. Can they win can they beat anybody four times in a, you know, through four different series and win the title? Like maybe, I don't think it's likely. And because the East is difficult, they could draw the Bucks in round one in some weird, you know, 4-5 matchup and, and get bounced. And that, like, it would suck. It, but it's it's a possibility. It's just, again, I can't see the future. And I sometimes, I talk about <laughs> these things sort of too probabilistically and everybody wants, like, black and white. And it's like, no, the team is really good. There's other really good teams out there. I would, I'm very much looking forward to seeing them play against each other in seven-game series and let's see what the hell happens. Um, because... I I also feel a little bit good about it that I have a fallback of like, Jason's about to turn twenty-four, so we're gonna get yeah. to do this again next year, yep. and the year after that, and the year after that. And one of these years, things are gonna click. Uh as long as we don't screw it up <laughs> um along the way. And <laughs> and that feels good. Um and I think if you wanna go all the way back, and I'll just keep rambling here, to talking about asset evaluations and what is Brad doing and the thing that, you know, you can talk about in there is they have put a team together for the next couple of years where they won't have to go out necessarily and be buyers because they've all, or be like big time buyers unless like a good opportunity where they're like, this trade is a clear win because they do have this core of a team that's now locked up for a couple of years that you look at and you're like, yeah, I mean, when Jason Tatum is 26, this team might be really, really good mm-hmm. and the same guys are going to be around because Jay, Jason's going to be 26 and Jalen's going to be 28 and Rob's going to be 25 and Marcus is going to be 30 and like, Derek White will be 31 like they might just be kicking ass at that point right so I think that that's where I look at it more than anything is that this is not a one and done team where it's like all the eggs are right now and like if win it this year or next year you're screwed yeah they could win it this year but they could win it three years from now and that's good.
1: Is this the best you felt about the Celtics in the in the short Jays era so far that's kind of what I'm that's the vibe I'm getting from you Ryan that this is maybe like the most promising point of, of their tenure with the team so far. Well I mean they've been to between them, they've both of them together, they've been to two conference finals. So sure. um, I know
0: that gets written off a lot. Like, I don't understand that. That's a real achievement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been good since they got here. They've played on good teams since they got here. And like it was it, it does get easy to lose sight of that because I think the front office has let them down in a number of different ways. Um, since all of the great things they did to get to the point of adding them. Uh, so I think like and you can get lost in that. And I can get lost in that. Absolutely. More than anybody. I can get lost in that completely admitting to that. Uh, And the last year has been difficult with just a lot of weird things and injuries and the world has sucked and it hasn't been a fun team to watch. Uh, But like, do I feel better about them now than I did when they were playing in a conference finals and Jason was dunking on LeBron James? No. (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) That's fair. You're literally sitting there two minutes away from going to the finals. Like that's, Uh so this is not the highest that I I, I felt for them, but I think that things are very promising and that, um, you know, from you I to to go to that comment or like they are not I don't believe that they are going to shoot 32 and 34 percent over their careers and that if they continue to play defense like they have and develop in other ways and just the shots start falling like you have an all NBA player and an all star going into their primes playing on the wing for the best defense in the league, like pretty good starting point <laughs> uh, to, to be able to work from that. So do you see like this? There's all this Bradley Beal talk,
2: right? Do you see like big game hunting with Beal almost overly risky considering one his age he's going to make a billion dollars uh on his new contract and we'd have to probably give up I mean all the picks basically it, cuz it sounds like you're pretty high on the team I am too I think this team's really come together and defense plays man um, so I'm kind of talking myself out of even needing kind of that quote unquote third star. I think maybe you get one or two more real high end role players and things will look, I mean, even better. And they're already getting close.
0: That's been a sort of, I guess, I don't know. I think it's probably Zach Lowe's conversation that he has, that he goes back to every off season about the difference between two and three stars. And are you better off having this or that? And the argument for like three stars indemnify you some amount against injuries, but in those cases, you are really talking about players who I think are a higher level in that. Like, Bradley Beal and Jason Tatum maybe could still compete for a title. I I don't think that a Bradley Beal-Jalen Brown team with Jason injured for the season would be a competitor. Right? Like, I don't know how much it actually protects you against against that with all-star players instead of, like, first team, hall, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, multiple all-NBA top, you know, guys like that. But I think it's a little bit different there. Um, and I think both are, you know acceptable ways to build a team Beal does worry me a little bit because as as i was you know is Beal the guy who can get picked on on defense and that undermines everything else that you've been able to build um he's not a terrible defender always but he certainly has been a terrible defender at times and he would certainly give everybody every team would pick on him and like would he break um in a playoff series particularly as he gets a few years older and with quite a lot of miles on him because he came, he came I mean, he's, you said his age, like he's not old because he came into the league. So incredibly young, but he, he will have a lot of miles on him and he will make an ungodly large amount of money for a team that has a budget. If you can, like if ownership says we don't care, I've, you know, we've been saving all this money for years for this moment, go ahead and spend wildly. And you can go and get him for Al Horford and Derek white and all your picks. Like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to say that that's a bad idea. Um, but I don't know that it like guarantees you of anything. And I think it's again, like reasonable to go about it another way. And if it's like, you can go get him, but it's Marcus smart and Derek white and Rob Williams and fewer picks. No, (laughs) Um, I don't think that that would work out. I think that you would hamstring yourself in too many other ways in terms of like your current talent and how you could fill out the roster then around that. um, And how you've, you know, would sort of again, undermine the gift that you have in the Jays. So I don't think it's clear. I think it depends on what the price is. Um, and, of course, the one caveat to all of that is if Jason, you know, if Jason Tatum says this is my team and I want you to go and sign my best friend, then that right, every team in the league, sort of takes your takes out of your hands. But I don't think you're talking about it from that standpoint. I think you're no. talking about more from the team building. Yeah. And again, this is what I do, right? I come on and I ramble on and I don't really give you answers to your questions because I don't <laughs> know the answers to them because these things aren't black and white, <laughs> yeah. right? They're these things we all these things live in a gray if not if it was if you could solve all these problems with a spreadsheet it wouldn't be fun right it's the <laughs> fact that we can't answer these things that makes it interesting to begin with so we bullshit about it and until uh until we find out
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's fun to talk about that's why we're all here uh i do have to wrap up with uh a question that will for sure alienate our u.s audience uh, and that is about the ashes and i think you tweeted about I- it
2: See you few guys. Months ago. See
1: your your <laughs> <laughs> you, you, tweeted yes. about it a few months ago, uh, <laughs> Ryan. And if I could have made a list of people who I'd be 100% positive would not be interested in cricket or the Ashes, I think Danger Cup would probably be on that list. So, it definitely piqued my interest. Um, we do have a, a, you know, a sizable cohort of, of Aussie listeners, obviously. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into Ashes cricket? Did you pay attention to it this year? I'm just I'm morbidly curious. Uh- Right so the the real original architect
0: of Celtics Reddit is um from Geelong right he's he's an Aussie um and aside from loving the Celtics also loves uh particularly he loves Aussie football he, he's a Geelong Cats fan and um uh, was Typical. also a mod for Peloton right so he was a he's a big not the workout equipment the but he's a he's a cycling fan um and also a cricket fan and um I lived I was living in Hong Kong when I was first uh, sort of joined Celtics Reddit, and then I was living in I lived in London for a little bit, and so I happened to live in London during two Ashes series. And every day, I'm talking to my friend Tim, who is uh, the one of the other moderators on on the Reddit, um, who's in Australia following the Ashes, and he's teaching me about the this dumbass sport that takes five days. Hey, and oh, by the way, there's five of them. <laughs> There aren't, it's not a five day thing. It's a five times five day thing. Yeah. Um, and Brilliant. then, oh, they're going to go and they're going to do it again against India and then against the windies. I don't know Right? like, it's just an insane sport. Uh, <laughs> and who could imagine why they've been desperately trying to find ways that take two hours instead of two and a half weeks. Uh, so <laughs> it's just, you know what it really, what it is, is that one, you want to talk shit to your friends. And so I'm in London, and he's in Australia, and you, you want to be able to do that. Uh, it's also, for anybody who's interested, who's been working from home during pandemic times or anything else, wonderful background noise. It goes on all day long. Nothing really happens. There, you know, <laughs> it just sort of sits there on the other screen or in the background, and it's sporting, and it's something is happening. And that's the Tour de France. That's the other, uh, you know, I love the Tour de France. Very similar. It just is a thing that happens all day long on, on the computer screen in the back. Um so I'm not gonna pretend that I'm some uh you know, great observer of, of cricket, but uh I can't help but get sucked into Ashes fever.
1: Look, I think that the fact that you know about cricket and the ashes at all, just its mere existence puts you in the in the top echelon of uh American cricket fans. <laughs> uh I, I detest and reject the notion that nothing happens in cricket. That is false. <laughs> but uh look next time we have you on, we can put aside ten minutes and we can discuss the uh the ins and outs of cricket and, and how so much is happening. Uh, at all times um brian (laughs) well also you get
0: just to throw you know douglas adams and a tiny little trophy that also sucks me in
1: (laughs) of course yeah for anybody who
0: doesn't know the ashes trophy is like three inches it's the tiniest little trophy it's hilarious
1: (laughs) it's not the size that matters (laughs) that's Um, right good things come in small packages (laughs) that's right look That's all the time we've got for this one. We'll be back with another pod later in the week. In the meantime, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at DangerCard. Let's be honest, if you know who we are, then you almost certainly know who DangerCard is. Uh, But you can keep track of his insights and his various podcast appearances there. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been fun thanks for listening folks if you're enjoying the show please subscribe rate share etc huge thanks to ryan bonadoni wayne spooney and the celtics for being super cool and winning lots of games peace